leftovers, or the DMV, or house cleaning, or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me this week, we've got a very special guest. He's a fellow sports business classroom alum and a Raptors expert, Stephen Lowe. Stephen, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, Garrett, thanks for uh, having me back on. Now, uh, Toronto, they obviously are the reigning NBA champs, but there was a, a, a little bit of a question mark heading into this season given the departures of both Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green. But uh, after 13 games, they're sitting with a 9-4 and overall record. Uh, they just absolutely trounced the Charlotte Hornets on Monday night, 132-96. to And as far as uh, offensive and defensive ratings... Eighth in the league offensively and fifth on defense. Uh, Steven, you've got to be very impressed with what you've seen so far. Yeah, you know, like I, I thought that uh, coming into the season, uh, I thought that they were being underrated by a lot of analysts, you know, not picking them to be top four team in the East. Uh, I was expecting them to be, them to, be uh, to be competitive, but uh, I think that um, it's fair to say that they've, expected, uh, they've exceeded all of my expectations. Uh, playing really tenacious defense and looks like they're really uh, hanging their hats on that part of the game and you're, you're losing two you know former all all uh, defensive team guys and uh, Danny Green and uh, Kawhi Leonard but um, you're seeing a lot of the younger guys step up and then uh, uh, before his injury you know Kyle Lowry was carrying a huge offensive load um, but now you know we're seeing the emergence of Pascal Siakam who is a player that I've been high on a long time you know Gary you remember we talked about him you know two years ago thinking that <laughs> Uh, he had a chance to be an all-star if he added something to his game, but I, and I think that uh, it's fair to say that he's exceeded all of my expectations as well. So he's, uh, you know, well on his way to being uh, 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 an all-star and you know maybe even an All-NBA player. Yeah, it has been absolutely sensational. Obviously, Siakam, the the reigning most improved player, 
and you look at the points per game from two years ago, he averaged seven. He's now up a, a tick under 27 points per game. I mean, he's taken two massive leaps. And, and yeah, it's not out, out of the realm of possibility that he could win a second consecutive most improved player. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't think it's ever been done before. Um, they don't seem to like giving the award to, to someone who's won it in the past. But um, you know, he, should, he should definitely be right there. You know, how many players can increase their usage by, by 10 percentage points while, you know, maintaining their efficiency on more difficult shots? <laughs> Increasing his efficiency, I think. I haven't checked the latest stats. He had a couple of off-shooting nights. But, um, yeah, that, that's where he was at. And, um, you know, we're here now, you know, 13 games into the season. And um, if he can maintain this pace, you know, he'll definitely be in that conversation, um, if not in the conversation for some bigger awards as well. Yeah, it has been... Uh, sensational his growth and and the big thing for me is that uh, you know not only the the ball handling to 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 drive and attack bigs out on the perimeter but then that that three-point shot has gotten so good now you know last year especially in the postseason you saw teams uh, put their their centers on uh, on Siakam and kind of allow him to take those shots and he struggled with that at times but so far this year you know, shooting thirty over thirty six percent from three on six point four attempts, he's really making that. Uh, you know, the putting your center on him and laying back an untenable strategy. Yep, and, and I think over seventy percent of those threes are from above the break. Um, a lot, and a lot of those being you know pull up threes or step back threes. So it's uh, not only is he taking more threes, but the degree of difficulty on these shots has increased a lot too, and it's it's really changed the way that. Uh, teams have had to guard, guard him and scheme for them. Yeah, and it really limits the amount of players in the league that really can realistically right. check him. You know, I think yep. one, you mentioned he struggled in a game recently against the Mavericks, and I think uh, Maxi Kleba did a really good job, but he's one of those rare guys that has that size, that shot-blocking ability to chase down from behind, uh, but then also has that uh, strength, but also the, the ability to move his feet. There just aren't that many players out there, and most nights he's Siakam has a, a significant mismatch. Yep, yep. There's not a lot of guys who can, you know, match his speed and, uh, and his underrated strength. You know, he looks like a, a lanky guy down there, but uh, he can really push guys around when he gets uh, deep into the post and really puts his shoulder into guys to uh, move him into his spots. Another couple of players that are, are uh, in that category for most improved uh, a guy in Fred Van Fleet and also another guy in OG Ananobi. Both of those guys really stepping up their game. We'll, we'll talk about Van Fleet first. Uh, you know, he's putting up uh, 17.2 points per game, 7.6 assists, 1.8 steals, uh, shooting 39.5% from three on 6.6 attempts a game. But yeah, his defense, his passing, and you know, he's, he's struggled a bit from two-point range. But, you know, watching those games, he does such a good job of pushing the tempo and uh, forcing the issue at times when, it, when it's advantageous for his team. Uh, you know, he's, he's probably got to be one of the top players in the league in terms of his missed shots resulting in offensive rebounds for teammates. Yep, yep, absolutely. You know, he's a very uh, unselfish player in that sense where he knows that if he pushes on the break and he has a couple trailers, he'll, uh, you know, go to the glass knowing that even if he misses that, Layup, uh, 
know, a couple guys behind will clean it up. So, you know, he's, he's really good at, you know, drawing that, that health defender. Um, you know, when they see a guy like Van Vliet, who uh, is six feet tall, uh, and that might be generous, <laughs> driving into the lane and trying to go finish over the, the trees uh, down low. Um, you know, they try to go for the block, and then you know, guys can come and clean up after him. And the Raptors have seemed to make an effort to attack the offensive glass as well, especially with some of the bench units. So uh, I think that, you know, he's shown a huge improvement, and people aren't talking about it as much because of uh, how stellar Siakam has been. But uh, he's re- he said at the beginning of the season that his goal is to prove that he can be a starter in this league. And um, I think that so far this season, he's, you know, definitely proven that he's capable of being that. Absolutely. And, you know, another big strength for this basketball team in general is just the collective basketball IQ. And there are countless moments every game where, whether it's a low-end shot clock situation or an end of the quarter where Lowry or Van Fleet are, are, are executing those two-for-one situations, they do such a good job. And because Lowry and Van Fleet have such great range on their three-point shots, uh, they, can, they can execute the two-for-one basically whenever they want. Yeah, and I think that uh, both of those guys have uh, the green light. You know, like uh, winning that championship, I think that uh, it's it's really uh, you know gives them the green light with their teammates. There's ultimate trust there, and they know that um, that their their team trusts them to to take those shots, and their coach trusts them that uh, they're not going to yank them if they take a forty foot three and miss every now and then, just because of uh, how much it stretches out the defense when uh, they're trying to guard them that far out on uh, those opportunities. So, um, you, know, you know, you mentioned Lowry there. and uh, I think Van Vliet has really modeled his game after him. You can see a ton of similarities, and uh, I think that that's kind of what he's becoming. He's becoming a mini Lowry, which has, uh, you know, been a, a, a huge revelation for the Raptors, too, especially with Lowry's injury. Right, and they both have similar uh, strengths and weaknesses. They're both, as, as you stated, with Van Vliet being, uh, you know, probably under six feet tall. They're both short. Yeah. Uh, they're both, you know, not the greatest athletes in the world. They have to do it with craftiness. They have to do it with ball handling and skill, you know, knocking down shots. And you're absolutely right. The, the two of them together, uh, they're, they're, so, they're so great because they're, they're strong enough to, to deal with taller players. Uh, they're, you know, they're, they're players that are they're both unselfish, get their teammates involved. The Raptors, you know, style of play offensively. It's so fun to watch. Uh, and and, you know, going to another guy I mentioned that is really improving this year is, is OG Ananobi. And he is a guy that, uh, you know, just a couple of years ago when he came into the league as a rookie, incredibly raw offensively. Uh, but he's really developed uh, the ball handling, the off-the-dribble game. But then most importantly this season, the three-point shot, he's shooting 53.2% from downtown on 3.9 attempts a game and had a career-high 24 points against uh, Charlotte on Monday night on 10 of 13 from the field and 4 of 7 from 3. Yeah, I mean, uh, his shooting's been amazing, and uh, I think it's fair to say it will regress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't think he'll maintain this pace. Uh, it's an interesting... You know, OG, like, just to touch on his three-point shooting, uh, his, he's shooting it with more confidence, but it still doesn't look like the prettiest shot. It's still a little bit awkward. Uh, but they go in. <laughs> yeah. I've been going in so far. Um, I think that will regress a little bit. But uh, what's impressed me, you know, the, the shooting has obviously been great, but he's uh, taking it to, to the rim a little bit more with force. You know, he's has a much bigger body than, than Siakam does. Um, and I think that he's starting to learn a little bit to use his strength 
um, and attack the rim a little bit more. And um, he's actually shown some flashes of being a great interior passer, passer as well. Um, and that just speaks to you know the IQ on this team. I think that you know the, the Raptors have a, and this is obviously very rare and hard to compare. But I think they have they're one of the better interior passing teams in the league, if not the best. Um, the teams that always remind me of are those those uh, Spurs teams in the you know like in '14 when they won. Um, who had those great interior passers in DR and, and Duncan and uh, even Parker when they get into the lane. And uh, the Raptors have been doing a lot of that as well with with Siakam, Gasol, and OG and, and their guards who kind of get in there and, and feed each other inside the lane. I don't know if that's something that's observable or, or measurable, but uh, that's something that I, I've seen when, I, when I've uh, been following them. Yeah, passing as far as skills on the floor, that seems to be the one that's the most contagious. And, and having yeah. Lowry and, and Gasol and Van Fleet on this roster, it's really helped the likes of, you know, Siakam I think has improved mightily as a, as a passer as well this season. Um, yep. But yeah, you know, as far as Ananobi, you talked about that off the dribble game, making plays, getting to the hoop. The game is really, you know, a, a layered game. You talked about Ananobi's probably going to regress a little bit, but if he can retain a, a three-point percentage from anywhere from 35 to 40 percent, uh, that's going to force defenders to respect him out there, and the more they have to come out to contest, the more he's going to be able to make those drives and, and, uh, and play off of that. So it is such a huge step in his development that that three-point shot is falling. And another thing with, uh, with OG we, we can't overlook is how he plays on the other side of the ball. Right. Um, he's been drawing the, uh, the kind of like the, uh, the tough guard, like the biggest wings, or even the point guards. Like he's, he's guarding everyone from basically one through four on uh, on most teams, whoever's the most potent offensive player. And, you know, that was an assignment that, um, you know, last year it would be Pascal Siakam or, or Danny Green would draw that assignment. And then, of course, in the playoffs against, you know, the Giannis Antetokounmpo, the, the Kawhi drew that assignment. But, um, as Pascal's kind of taken uh, that, that uh, primary offensive facilitator role, uh, OG's really stepped up and you know taken some of the burden off of him defensively, and he's uh, done an amazing job. He's uh, really seems to take pride in that part of the game as well. And um, you know, if he can be a shutdown guy, his offense can regress a lot more, and he'll have a long, long career in this, in this league. Um, and I think that he's showing flashes of being a guy who's going to be. Um, a great ball stopper. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about how valuable a 3 and D wing is, but Ananobi has, uh, you know, even more potential than that just because, as you mentioned, right. he's got that size and strength to potentially guard the most difficult uh, assignments every night. And that just has so much more value. You know, you, I, I think a guy like Otto Porter has been looked on as a, as a really good 3 and D player, but but he can't guard a LeBron James. You know, he can't guard right. a Kawhi Leonard. Uh, we, we need to come up with a new term for, for uh, guys that can actually guard them as well, maybe a 3 and D plus, but Ananobi <laughs> absolutely fits into that category. Yeah, I mean, you just look at some of the assignments he drew um, over the past week. Uh, he had, he, last night against Charlotte, he had he was guarding Terry Rozier um, to start the game, and you know they, I guess the, the Raptors identified him as kind of the, the biggest offensive threat um, in that lineup. And then uh, the day before that, or sorry, the Saturday game, he guarded Luka Doncic. Before that, he was injured during the uh, he got injured during the kind of the first couple of plays of the Clippers game. Otherwise, he was been guarding Kawhi. And in the game before that, he was guarding um, uh, LeBron James. So he's kind of drawn. 
uh, the biggest defensive matchups, and he's uh, he's done a good job. You know, he's uh, holding his own, and like you said, just uh, seeing the type of player who can guard a LeBron James one night, and then a Terry Rozier type of the next, uh, you know, more of a smaller, uh, quicker point guard. Uh, not a lot of guys in the league can do can, can do that. Yeah, and speaking to you mentioning his confidence on the offensive end, you know, I saw him hit a a pull-up mid-ranger against Charlotte. Again, didn't look like the prettiest shot in the world. It's a slow release a little bit, but he knocked it down. And then he was even hitting some sidestep threes going to his left. Uh, You know, really positive signs from from OG. I I wanted to uh, to get your take on on, uh, the the second unit that this this team has now. You know, a couple of years ago they were – uh, with a bench unit led by, uh, you know, the likes of Siakam and Van Fleet were running through the league. Uh, but now they've got kind of a, a new bench group of undrafted guys, of former G League players, and, and they're doing a really good job. And despite the fact that this Raptors team has not had Lowry and Ibaka for the past few games and are going to miss them for, for a, a, at least Lowry for a while to come, uh, th- this bench unit has really done a great job of keeping this team afloat. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, it's funny you say that because, you know, the first probably two weeks of the season, uh, Nick Nurse was going seven deep and was basically they, uh, playing guys who, uh, if you were able to contribute to winning the championship, you were uh, getting some run, and if you uh, were not part of that roster, you weren't getting any. And, um, you know, I think uh, up until very recently, Lowry, uh, Siakam, and Van Vliet were all kind of in that top ten in in the, the NBA minutes, um, but due to some of these injuries, you know, we're seeing some of these, uh, seeing some of these guys you mentioned get run, and um, I think that once again the Raptors have found a way without uh, first-round draft picks or, or highly touted rookies to to build a a, a really impressive bench. Um, I, I mean, I can go on and on about how how impressed I am by Terrence Davis the second, which I'm sure you want You're going to want to dive in a little bit more on him. Um, but even uh, a guy like Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who, who they signed to uh, what I believe was a veteran in con- contract, you can you could conf- uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe it was um, maybe it was a biannual. I, I always get his and Stanley Johnson's contracts mixed up. But anyhow, like he's come in um, was a guy that Nick Nurse called out at the beginning of the year for you know not uh, I think his exact so I'm not sure can't remember his exact quote, but he said something along the lines of him not uh, knowing how to play hard enough yet, and he's. Uh, taking that to heart and he's uh, been uh, a revelation off the bench too so uh, I, I you know I think that these are some guys who have uh, shown they can contribute and uh, guys who have uh, you know the, could have been uh, lost but uh, finding that they have a place in this league as well yeah Hollis Jefferson has been a really interesting case you know he wasn't playing at the beginning and and the the Ibaka injury sort of gave him that opportunity to get some significant minutes and yeah, he's done a he's done a terrific job. And I think a big thing, you know, the uh, the big issue obviously with with Hollis Jefferson is the the lack of size for a traditional center, but then also the lack of a jump shot. So he can be a tough fit at times with that that uh, uh, with that profile. But the with this Raptors roster seems perfectly suited for him. You know, he'll come in and play some uh, some backup four with Gasol, and obviously Gasol shooting the ball really well from downtown so Gasol can space the floor and let Hollis Jefferson, you know, uh, set screens and, and stay around the basket. And then, you know, they'll bring in Chris Boucher, who we'll talk about a little bit later, but he's another guy that can stretch the floor. 
Uh, and then Hollis Jefferson can play some small ball five there, and Jefferson, Hollis Jefferson's got the strength to deal with centers, and Boucher can kind of, with his rail-thin frame, can play the four on defense. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's kind of fitting in there. He's a guy offensively who needs to be in the dunker spot. Um, doesn't have the greatest hands uh, to even play uh, like a pick-and-roll dive man. Um, he's fumbled a couple of those early, but um, you know, he seems to really be taking his pride in attacking the offensive glass. And then uh, when OG's not on the floor, he's the guy who's drawing the uh, the big defensive assignments and you know guarding wings or, or, or guarding bigs as well. So um, he seems to really have bought into that role, and um, he's been rewarded with more and more minutes because of it. Um, so you know, I I'm, I've been extremely impressed with him. But you know, although he clearly um, lacks a lot of the tools to, to be a more versatile player in, in today's NBA. Um, if he can kind of do the things that he's good at uh, effectively and stick to that, he'll, he'll have a role with this team. Yeah, he, um, he's been absolutely uh, terrific on the offensive glass. Looking at some cleaning the glass stats, he's, he's rebounded 14.7% uh, of uh, the Raptors' misses from the field and then also 14.3% on uh, missed free throw attempts. So he is absolutely dominating inside. And as you said, him being in the dunker spot uh, and the Raptors still being able to to space the floor despite that has been so huge because, it, you know, he can he can get in there and, and get the Raptors' second chances. Um, yeah. I, I wanted to, uh, yeah, get you you briefly mentioned Terrence Davis the second. Uh, he's he's been a, a terrific piece, and, and he's really had a role pretty much the whole year. Um, yeah. Even when you were saying they were down to seven or eight guys in their rotation, I think he was yeah, still he getting some minutes right, straight away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and per 36, he's averaging 13.7 points, 6.5 rebounds, 4.8 assists, 1.5 steals, doing a little bit of everything. He's been able to play off the ball and knock down some threes. Uh, he's also been able to be a creator on the ball when they've needed it, and they, they have with uh, you know with Lowry being out. Yeah, no, he's been playing uh, some of the backup point guard role, and, and that was kind of the question um, that I kind of had when they signed him. You know, he seemed like a prototypical combo guard. You know, doesn't really have true point guard skills, but he's a little bit undersized with uh, compared to some of today's wings, but uh, he's kind of shown that he's been capable of you know running uh, simple offensive sets, uh, playing with a ton of energy. He's been able to make shots, you know, off the dribble, off the catch. Uh, you know, he, he's uh, he's chose great range, and he's he's a freak athlete too. So I, I don't understand how uh, watching him, I don't understand how that's not a first round talent. I don't understand how. Teams don't even take a, a flyer on him in the second round. Right, he's he's six that. four. It's not as yeah. if he's you know terribly undersized either. Right, right. You know he's a, he's a freak athlete who can who can shoot, and you think that uh, at the very least, uh, you know somebody would you know, give him a shot. And, and and not only was he undrafted, he was not even on the Raptors summer league roster. He was on the Nuggets summer league roster, had two good games, and then uh, was signed from right under their noses. So I don't understand how that. Uh, those uh, events happened. Uh, maybe there's something in the background of NBA front offices that I'm missing, but uh, I'm glad that the Raptors that were able to lock him up, and I think they have him locked up at a uh, very low term for over the next three years, and I think that he'll be a part of the rotation uh, throughout that time. Yeah, Masai has done an absolutely terrific job of finding these diamonds in the rough. 
and right. a, another one has been this Chris Boucher, who was the uh, uh-huh. you know the the G League Defensive Player of the Year last year. Uh, you uh-huh. know he. He is, uh, again, even though he's, as I mentioned earlier, rail thin and not really capable of defending traditional fives, his combination of being able to space the floor and also his length and shot blocking, you know, he's averaging 3.4 blocks per uh, per 36. Uh, the the guy has been really impactful on both ends. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I like to mention Defensive Player of the Year and MVP of the G League last year. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's probably, MVP's probably more important. <laughs> So he won both, which I think is pretty rare, even in the G League. Um, you know, almost uh, I mean, very, very rare in the NBA. But, um, you know, he's just a guy who is really thin, um, has been cast as a center. And um, I think Nick Nurse came out and said, you know, this guy's going to be a four. Um, he's, just, he's just more suited to playing kind of a stretch role, a stretch four role. And uh, in today's NBA, he, he can kind of guard a little bit on the wing and then be really impactful around the rim. Um no, I've been impressed with him. I still think that he has a ways to go. Sometimes he gets lost out there uh, on both the offensive and defensive end. I think he's getting used to the pace of the NBA game a little bit. Um, but he shows flashes. You know, he'll hit a three uh, with his unconventional, like, it looks like a two-handed jump shot. Yeah, it's definitely and, a uh, slow sort of set shot. Yeah, you know, his pick-and-roll defense isn't great yet. He uh, uh, some seems to be a little bit lost on the coverages, but he's just—he has the length and size to just recover so quickly, um, and still kind of uh, disrupt shots there. That it's uh, been helpful. But I think that as he gets more consistent minutes and uh, maybe gets out of his own head a little bit, he's just going to become even more of a defensive, uh, a defensive uh, impact player um, as, as he gets there. And you know, he doesn't really take away a ton on the offensive end either. He's the guy you can just throw at the corner. <laughs> And uh, force defenses, uh, defenses to uh, stretch out to guard him. So uh, he's been uh, a guy that you know, looking like he's earned minutes too. All of a sudden, the Raptors are looking like they might be ten or eleven deep. Right, and another one of those guys uh, that we haven't mentioned yet is Matt Thomas, and he was a guy that uh, um, you know, seeing a little bit of uh, a few clips of him playing in Europe and shooting the basketball, he seemed to have one of the purest strokes. Uh, that I've ever seen, and, you know, the numbers, uh, you know, were, were pretty terrific. Shot over 90% from the free throw line in his couple of seasons in Europe, and then also, you know, over 40% from three, and that has definitely translated to the NBA game. So far, you know, shooting 56.5% from three, and, uh, you know, averaging 3.8 made threes per 36 minutes. And, you know, again, talking about some of the departures they had in the offseason, you know, losing a guy in Danny Green, who was really the, the sniper for the team last year. You know, certainly Matt Thomas isn't going to play nearly as many minutes as, as Danny Green, but he's provided some of that floor spacing that they, that they lost. I mean, he's, uh, he's definitely what they, what they have uh, advertised. Uh, I think that uh, when he came in, they put out a stat that he had a 99% true shooting percentage, which I've never heard of. But uh, that was the numbers he had in, in Europe, and he sustained that over two seasons. So uh, another guy where it's like, with where the NBA is going, I don't understand how teams didn't give him a shot. Right. Um, and, uh, I mean, he's a dead-eye shooter. His his flaw will be his defense. Um, he's just a little, he's just a little bit, uh, maybe... It's not for lack of effort. He just seems to be a step slow, and, and it's another guy who's getting used to the pace of the game here, which, um, you know, definitely quicker than how it is in Europe and um, much better athletes. But 
if he can become a passable defender, his shooting is such a plus on the offensive end that uh, he's not even uh, just shooting. He's shown some, uh, you know, one dribble pump game. He's made a couple nifty passes as well. So um, he could be a real offensive weapon, and he's a guy that, um, you know, if he can just become a passable, below-average defender and not be a, and not uh, be a complete negative on defense, he's gonna be another guy who's gonna be able to earn minutes and have a long NBA career. So. Um, it's, it's really interesting that, you know, Masai and Bobby Webster and, and the front office here in Toronto have been able to find guys like this who um, are, have just been overlooked by the rest of the NBA. And um, He's another guy that the Raptors have under contract over the next three years at close to a minimum contract and, um, you know, are going to be uh, really important when you think about the context of not just this season, but going forward and building out this roster around the Pascal Siakam. Right, yeah, he, uh, you know, I, I saw in the in the game against Charlotte on Monday, Nick Nurse even started running some sets to get him open looks where Thomas would start under the hoop and then run up to the free throw line, set a back screen, and then and then go from there and uh, get an open look, kind of a similar to what the Houston Rockets do a lot to to free up Eric Gordon. Um, and yeah, defensively, I agree with you. It's been a bit of a struggle. I noticed in the in the game against the Lakers. Uh, he struggled guarding uh, Troy Daniels, which is a player kind of of a similar ilk, but uh, he, he often just uh, left him for kind of no reason and, and, and gave up a few shots. But but you're absolutely right that the, the effort is there, and hopefully over time, as he gets more experienced, uh, some of those mistakes will, will go away. He, he's a guy who needs to uh, download all the, all the clips of J.J. Reddick he can watch and just watch those offensive end and defensive end. <laughs> Right. How he can emulate that because that's his ticket to a long NBA career and, and a great payday. Um, and it's not to discount, you know, how far JJ has come. I mean, if you remember what he looked like in his early years in Orlando, um, he struggled a lot to, to get minutes too, and he, you know, worked through that. And, uh, you know, if Matt Thomas can even come close to that, what a steal that would be. Exactly. Um, so another guy I wanted to talk about, and it's been really interesting watching him so far this year, is, is of course Marcus Gasol in, in uh, arguably his, his last season with the Raptors, depending on if Masai decides to re-sign him next offseason. But uh, so far, you know, he's he shot the ball well from three, but he's been ghastly inside the arc, shooting just 26.7% on two-point shots, you know, passing up a lot of those uh, open looks as well. Uh, there was a play again in the in the Charlotte game where he caught the ball right under the hoop, had a dunk, and and just pitched it two feet back to Ananobi and let him dunk it home. Um, but uh, you know, despite those struggles, it seems like he's still had positive impact on this team. Yeah, you know, uh, a lot of that impact is on the defensive end. You know, he's still a great rim protector. Uh, just a, he's just a smart, high IQ player. He directs the traffic on defense. Um, it's still just such a huge presence, even though he seems to not be able to get much more than two or three inches off the floor. <laughs> still able to disrupt shots. Um, and on the offensive end, you know, he's such a threat to pass out of the post, high post. Um, uh, he can still pick and pop, even though he's a he's a reluctant shooter. I, I'm not sure exactly what's going on on the offensive end. Um, I don't know. He just he, he had some struggles like this in the playoffs last year as well. And, just seems to have been a little bit lost in this uh, system. You know, he's trying to play his role, and he adjusted so much of his game to to fit around, you know, Kawhi and Kyle Lowry last year when 
Uh, those guys were kind of the focal points of the offense and needed some lanes to drive. Um, and, you know, this year, I think that the, the hope was to play through him a little bit more in the post, but with, with Seattle's emergence, you know, he's been kind of uh, more comfortable floating um, outside uh, to, to space a little bit. And uh, I, uh, I think that hopefully his uh, shot, you know, goes back to where <laughs> Again, I don't think he'll stay below 26% uh, inside the arc the rest of the season, but um, he's definitely going to need to show some more aggression there. But even without him scoring a lot or, or shooting at a high percentage, he still impacts the game so much and uh, helps out his teammates. Um, but just doing little things like setting great screens to free guys up, uh, you know, he, he will be a guy who will still you know continue to make an impact on the offensive end, even if he's not the guy kind of scoring the, the baskets there for you. Yeah, the, the Hornets went zone at one point, I believe, in the third quarter of that game Monday night, and, and Gasol got right into the that free-throw line area, that area where the zone can get really damaged, and right. he, he caught the pass and immediately sort of touch-patched passed it to the wing for an open three. You know, he's making those sorts of plays all the time. I, uh, I, I was talking with uh, Corbin Ford about their game on opening night against the Pelicans, and there was a play towards the end of regulation where he caught the ball on the left wing and uh, Van Fleet was open in the corner. Drew Holiday was coming out to try to deflect that pass and Gasol makes a nice bounce pass to get it under the hand of Holiday and yeah. get it into the corner. He makes those little plays consistently. And, you know, just looking at the kind of impact he's having, uh, you know, the, the Raptors so far this year are 13.1 points better with him on the floor a positive 4.7 on offense, so despite the shooting struggles, they're still better on the offensive end with him out there. And then they're also giving up 8.4 less points per game on the defensive end per 100 possessions. So, yeah, Gasol has uh, has continued to have a tremendous impact. Yeah, no, absolutely. He, he made a pass like that last night as well where uh, he kind of came into that mid-post and then made a ridiculous no-look bounce pass to the corner of... Uh, to Van Vliet, who was still cutting to that spot, so he wasn't even at that spot yet. <laughs> yeah, and he almost faked, I think he faked to the wing initially. I mean, yeah, I remember the exact play you're talking about. It was it was a wow sort of pass. Yeah, like that's like, I think it's basically Jokic and Gasol who could make that pass. <laughs> right. That size. Um, no, dude, he's still been great. And, you know, like I'll, I remember when you were watching the Portland game and, you know, seeing how much you know, Lillard and, and McCollum to an extent were, were struggling because of Whiteside's inability to set a, a proper screen. <laughs> thinking, you know, how much better they would look with a guy like Gasol who could be a release foul. Um, and he's been that for, for uh, Van Vliet and Lowry. And, you know, they're putting up um, amazing numbers and uh, you can't discount how much having uh, a high IQ um, and what he's really become is an uber role player for this team. Um you know, he's been great. And you mentioned, you know, um, and I, I don't know if you want to touch on this now, but, you know, he'll, he's going to be a free agent this season. Um, you know, Masai likely doesn't want to re-up anyone past uh, the next season, as evidenced by his extension to, to Lowry. And you can see kind of how some of these contracts have been structured. Because so, there's a, uh, there's a certain guy in, uh, in Milwaukee <laughs> that they've got their eye on in two years' time. Uh, yeah. Yes, definitely. Uh, you could walk into the Greek town in Toronto and uh, ask anyone on the streets who, who's on their way in 2021. <laughs> They'll tell you that. But, um, you know, like, what, what do you think Gasol gets in the open market? Do you think he's a guy who may re-up with Toronto on a little bit of a higher term for another year? Or do you think he's uh, 
you know, could potentially get a, a longer term payday with another team, maybe at the mid level or, or some level higher than that. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting question because, you know, the the teams that actually could use him and and he could actually put into that sort of contender status probably don't have the the salary cap space to offer him big money. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if Masai does something similar with Gasol that he did with Lowry, where he just gives him he gives him a, a decent amount of money for another single season. And uh, again, because the 2020 free agent class is pretty poor, I don't think Toronto has their eyes set on basically anybody. So, uh, you know, especially if he continues to prove that he's a valuable player, why not just bring him back and, and continue to be good uh, uh, into the future? The, the, the question I have for you, you know, there was a lot of talk, and I think a big reason why people were down on the Raptors heading into this season was the, the idea that they might be sellers at the trade deadline. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that now and whether that's still a possibility or do you think with how this team has played and how Siakam has risen, uh, could they potentially be buyers? I mean, I, 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 it would be hard-pressed for, hard for me to see them being buyers just um, with uh, you know, the, some of the restrictions that, that I think they have. I think if a superstar becomes available and can be had to pair with, with Siakam, I think Masai would be all over that, but um, barring that, um, to add another role player, um, it'd be tough, especially with if you look down the, the salaries of you know what, what would have to kind of go out to match that. Um, I, I just don't see them being buyers. Uh, I think that most likely they will stand pat, and you know with a lot of the contracts rolling off this year, they're gonna have a ton of flexibility. And with the roster as is, it looks like they can still make a, a good run in the Eastern Conference. Um, but you know with with Masai, he, he's shown in the past that. You know, he uh, can be really calculated when it comes to these kind of things. And um, if a huge offer comes for Gasol, and uh, it's a position that he thinks that he's comfortable uh, rolling with, um, you know, Ibaka and Boucher and Hollis Jefferson manning the center position, and there's something that uh, could be had, whether it's another, it's a young asset or or, uh, or a pick or something like that that, that he values. Um, and he doesn't think he's going to resign this all anyways, maybe the, that he could still potentially sell and um, not necessarily completely hinder the Raptors' ability to compete in the playoffs. Um, but I think most likely they'll stand power. What, what do you think? Yeah, I probably agree with that. I think Masai is going to be, you know, he's a realist, despite how good this team might be. I, I think they're... Yeah. they're they're probably a better version than they were pre, you know, Kawhi those last couple yeah. of seasons. But at the same time, I think this is this is more in line to me of being a second round playoff exit sort of group. Um, and and yeah, with with Siakam being so young, and uh, you know, a, a lot of the core with with Powell and Van Fleet, and and some of the guys you mentioned on the bench that are that are locked up for the long term. Uh, they, they've got a young core that should continue to grow and develop and, and you don't need to uh, you don't need to hit the the, the uh, trade button immediately um, right. but yeah my, my question then for you also is you know how sustainable is this team's success without you know Lowry out there on the floor I think with his fractured thumb he's going to be out at least another two to three weeks if not longer um, you know, how sustainable is it? You know, they, they uh, were able to go into Staples Center and beat the Lakers. They competed uh, with the Clippers in that, uh, in that uh, highlight game against Kawhi. 
they they competed in a tight game and lost to to Dallas, but then blew out Charlotte. So so they've been very uh, you know impressive and competitive in every game without Lowry and Ibaka. Uh, it, it, so is, is this for real? Um, I think that the defense looks like it might be for real. <laughs> you know, I think that they they held. They held uh, LeBron to, I think it was 12 or 13 points, and then the next day they forced Kawhi to nine turnovers. And then a couple nights after that in Portland, they held Dave Lillard to nine points. Um, you know, Doncic still got his, and he's been an amazing player, but I'm sure you'll like, be discussing him a lot in uh, other podcasts, so I won't dive into that. Um, but if the defense is really there, I mean, I think they can sustain it. I, to rely on, you know... OG kind of keeping up that shooting pace and uh, the workload that Van Vliet and Siakam have had to have, I think that there will be a bit of a regression there. Um, but I think that, you know, they can still be an above 500 team while Lowry's out. But, um, you know, ideally he gets back sooner rather than later. Um, but I think that, you know, this team is still able to go eight deep without Lowry and, uh, and Nabaka. And um, they have a bunch of guys who, uh, you know, uh, at least don't give them any holes on the defensive end. Um, and I think that that's what they're really going to hang their hat on and, um, you know, continue to get wins with uh, playing hard on that end of the So do you think I'm being a little bit too harsh saying that, you know, their ceiling is second round of the playoffs, uh, given, you know, how, how much Siakam has improved? I mean, there's you can make an argument that Siakam has jumped into even, like, top 15 in the league territory. Yeah, no, I, I think that he's definitely in the conversation there. I'm sure when we, I, I would say he's top 15, but I'm sure once we list it out, he'll be right on the fringe. <laughs> so it seems that that's the way it is when we go with these you know, top 10 or top 15 lists. Um, but, you know, the, the East, the top end of the East is, uh, is still going to be tough, you know, despite you know, Philadelphia starting uh, starting slow, you know, they're a really big team that you know gave the Raptors a ton of problems last year and um, they got bigger this year, so yeah. uh, that's going to be a, a tough team in, in the playoffs. And then we all know like what Giannis is c- capable of. And on top of that, you know, you got Miami, who's been playing well, um, and uh, Boston, who um, before Gordon Hayward's injury looked like they were uh, still look good, but you know, with Gordon Hayward there too, um, are going to be a tough team. So I think the second round is is fair. Uh, I think their their ceiling is they could make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, just depending on how the matchups shake up. I think that they match up with some teams uh, better than others. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I don't think it's too harsh. I think like um, the homer in me says that they can make it uh, into the Conference Finals, but uh, if everyone's healthy and uh, you know the ball bounces the right way. But uh, yeah, you know, second round is kind of where the where my expectations would be. Yeah, and. You know, Siakam vaulting into that top 15, and who knows, he might not be done improving at this stage. You know, he could make another <laughs> leap next year. Uh, and, you know, if Toronto has that top 10 player, uh, Masai then can, uh, you know, sort of start building out the roster maybe a little bit differently than he than he thought he needed to the, heading into this offseason. Yeah, uh, I think that the, uh, the big question will be uh, Fred Van Vliet being there. Uh, I think he's up this year. Uh, what kind of contract he's going to demand. Um, I think that you know, he's proven that he's kind of uh, in that tier of you know young point guards who have proven they can start, but you know not necessarily going to be a, a star player on your team, but a high-end role player. So 
do you think he, you know, gets a, a Malcolm Brogdon type contract or uh, something less? I don't know. What, what, what do you think that Van Lee shakes out in free agency? Yeah, that's interesting. I think the fact that the class is so poor is going to be to his benefit. Uh, there, there aren't a lot of other good players on the market. You know, a ton of guys, a ton of those uh, rookies that would have been restricted free agents signed extensions. Um, and, you know, people were talking about that maybe they signed those extensions because of concerns over the, the NBA financial situation, over the, the China controversy. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I think Van Fleet's going to get paid. He's going to get a lot of money. Yeah, it's a matter of is it going to be more in the four year 60 range or is it going to be more in the 485 right right um and it's hard to say because i mean you look at the teams with cap space and they're not the most attractive destinations for van vliet uh, or their teams with the young point guards like uh, atlanta has a ton of cap space but i don't think van vliet's the guy that they're gonna you know give a, a four-year 80 million dollar offer for when they kind of have you know the trey young uh you know, be, being the, the point guard of the future there, and then the Kevin Horner being another guard that they that they've invested into, um, and then you got Cleveland with two point guards there. And does it feel like they're a team that's gonna come out and spend a ton on on, uh, on a Fred VanVleet either? And um, I think Memphis is the other team with a ton of cap space, and they have John Morant. So I, I don't know, like when you kind of break it down that way, there's not another contender. You know, may feel that they're uh, or a semi-contender who may feel that they're a uh, Fred Van lead away, such as uh, what we saw with the Pacers and Malcolm Brogdon, feeling that you know they were a point guard away, uh, someone to to put with all the depot and their bigs there. Um, so it's hard to say, but uh, you know, uh, Charlotte gave uh, <laughs> Terry year three years, sixty million, and. I can confidently say that I think Fred Van Vliet's a better player than Terry Rozier. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think Fred Van Fleet might be one of the top 15 point guards in the entire league. Right. I mean, he's right. playing that good on both ends of the floor. And, and yeah, despite the um, you know the, just the true shooting percentage, the two-point percentage isn't as high as you would like. But, again, all of the little things that he does, the passing, the, play, the playmaking, the three-point shooting, uh, the defense, he, he just brings so much to the table. And, and yeah, I, I think there's also the, you know, in, in regards to his contract and, and whether or not he'll, uh, you know, sign something pretty big or something pretty reasonable, there, there's also the idea that Toronto really gave him his chance in the NBA, so perhaps the Raptors might get a hometown discount. Yeah, um, and, you know, if there uh, really is visibility into a keeping a match slot open in 21 and potentially... You know, seeing that Lowry kind of agreed to a one-year deal with um, there as well. Um, you know, maybe there's a chance that they structure it in a way that you get uh, a core of Van Vliet, um, you know, uh, Siakam and uh, Ananobi locked up, uh, you know, long-term with uh, a max slot for another, you know, star player to, to join that core. And, you know, I would struggle to think of, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a, a lot of other good teams with, with uh, max slots, but uh, I think that that's an attractive young core to to join when you, you, when you realize that that core two years ago with another star player was able to win a championship. Absolutely. Now, uh, the one guy we didn't really get around to talking to is Norman Powell. 
Uh, and, you know, he, he struggled to start the season coming off the bench, but ever since the, the Lowry injury he's been starting, what has been your, your thoughts and impressions of, uh, of Norm Powell here? And, uh, you know, the a couple of years ago he signed that. I believe it was a four-year, $42 million contract, and, and it seems like each and every year it changes from that's a, a massive overpay to it's a reasonable deal. <laughs> I think that in today's NBA that's probably a reasonable deal. Um, maybe a slight overpay. I mean, he's 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 shown that he can score a little bit. Um, I think Nick Nurse something up best that you know I, we haven't touched on this, but if you paid attention to any of Nick Nurse's pressers, I think that that championship has given him the confidence to say whatever he wants. I, you'd be hard pressed to find a more blunt coach than maybe other maybe Greg Popovich. <laughs> Nick Nurse has been just kind of saying whatever's on his mind on some of these press conferences. I think he had a quote where he said, I wish that I could pencil in Norman Powell for 16 points a game and not 25 one night and zero the next. Which <laughs> 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 you know, something that, uh, like, how many coaches will say that about one of their players? But uh, I, I agree with him there. You know, he's he's a hot and cold player. Some nights it'll make a big impact. Other nights, um, you know, he won't do much for you on the offensive end. Defensively, he'll always be kind of uh, average to slightly above average, depending on the matchup and, the effort's always going to be there, but offensively, he drifts in and out. Sometimes his shot's falling, sometimes it's not. Um, sometimes he plays within the flow of the offense, and sometimes he drives into two defenders uh, when he has an open uh, open guy on the wing or, on, or in the corner. So um, It feels like he hasn't changed a ton as a player over the last couple of years. Um, you know, that's unfortunate, but... Uh, you know he's gonna—he's a solid role player who'll get who'll soak up some minutes, but nothing really special. And maybe that's just because, you know, it feels like he hasn't improved a ton. Uh, what's your take on on Norm Powell? Yeah, I mean, I think he's—he's—he's he's, he's certainly improved uh, on on the three-point shot. You know, uh, uh-huh. I'm gonna look up his his numbers here, but he. Uh, he seems to be a lot more confident taking those shots, and and he's got such great elevation on that jumper uh, that he can really get it off whenever he wants. Of course, there was the the opening night game against the Pelicans where they uh, Nick Nurse dialed up his name on the the final play, which was a a bit confusing. But you know, um, just you know, just two years ago he shot twenty eight point five percent from three. Uh, so even uh, you know last year on. 2.8 attempts a game, shot 40%. This year, not doing as well, but still at 33% point, uh, on, on 4.4 attempts, so he's up the volume. Uh, so so his three-point shot is a little bit better. Um, and, yeah, he's got that dynamic athleticism, even though, as you said, he, he, still, uh, he still sometimes will, will drive into traffic or make a play that uh, makes you shake your head. Um, but, yeah, I think he's he's kind of got, become a player where, you know what, he's – uh, if he's in your rotation, I think you're uh, you're pretty well off. Yeah, yeah, I think that he's uh, he's definitely not a complete negative, uh, and you know if he's soaking up you know 18, 20 minutes a game, uh, you know he'll serve his purpose, and he's not going to detract too much on the defensive end or, or anything like that. So um, I think that he's kind of uh, you know solidified himself as a as a role player in, uh, in this league, but you know may end up becoming a, a career journeyman who has a has a long career. I think that that's kind of the fate of, <laughs> of what Norman Powell's career will be, which is, you know, once again, pretty good for a guy who was picked in the second round. Um, I think in, like, uh, I want to say he was, like, the 44th pick or something like that. 
so yeah, that's a that's a solid career for a guy who played you know four years in college and then was picked in the second round. Absolutely. Uh, I, I wanted to get your take on uh, on Nick Nurse and the and the coach's challenge so far this season. He's he's really struggled and uh, he he just got his first successful coach's challenge. I believe it was in the Dallas game, and uh, he ended up. Uh, it was the Lakers game. Or sorry, the Lake. Yeah, it was the Lakers game, and then he uh, he sarcastically hugged all of his assistant coaches. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, some of his decisions and some of the decisions by coaches throughout the league have been pretty yeah. puzzling. You know, in the game yeah. against Charlotte, he challenged a foul on Bismack Biombo, and it's like. You know, Bismack Biombo is a terrible free throw shooter, so most likely what you're doing is you're saving a single point if the challenge is even successful. So, you know, it's it's not only the the fact that he's had a, a an incredibly low success rate on the challenges, but it's the which play, which calls he's choosing to challenge are, are totally confounding at times. Yeah, you know, I, it, it almost feels to me that he's not taking the challenges seriously so far this season. Um, I think, like, the first in the Pelicans game, I really think he just wanted to be in the history books as the first coach to make the challenge. <laughs> so he called in, like, the first quarter, and everyone was like, all right, like, what's going on? Um, but, yeah, it, it almost feels that he, and I don't know, maybe I'm just reading way too much into this, but it feels almost like he's just kind of using these challenges as uh, reinforcement to his players who, if they feel like he's, they're, they you know, haven't been getting a call. So I think, you know, in particular, if we're talking about the Charlotte one, um, Ronde Hollis Jefferson was, uh, you know, uh, kind of getting hacked on some of these uh, these interior touches or, or uh, battling for offensive rebounds. And, um, so challenge on of, one of those. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Challenges instead on like uh, I think it was like a little touch foul on Bismarck Biombo. Um, and I think that that was kind of uh, kind of been his his strategy. I, I I don't know. I can't make any sense of it. <laughs> He's, He's definitely not been saving them for the fourth quarters, which is, you know, like you said, it's puzzling. Um, but I will say it was cathartic after all those years of watching the Raptors play against the Cavs in the playoffs and seeing LeBron get away with the thousands of what it feels like for push-offs to finally see a call get reversed for a coach's challenge. And I think it was a Siakam swipe at the ball that they called a foul right. um, that they reversed. That was... Uh, for me, it was a personally cathartic, cathartic moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it, and you bring up a good point. You know, I've mostly been trying to think about the coach's challenge in, in very much like a, an analytical, statistical manner and what fouls yeah. or what, what plays can you call that benefits your team the most on the scoreboard. But you're right that there may be a, a mental component, especially with your own players, that uh, that that maybe should be considered when coaches are, are deciding these. Yeah, and, and maybe there, there's a case to be made where if, um, you know, something is called early in the game, maybe if, uh, on, a, on a call that you feel isn't going your way, maybe that changes the rest behavior going forward too. Like, I, I don't know if that's the case, especially when you lose the challenge. <laughs> I don't know if that Maybe that just reinforces the refs uh, in the opposite direction that you're hoping. But, <laughs> uh, no, it definitely it has felt that in at least a, a couple games that, that Nick Nurse has uh, been uh, upset with the whistle. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if the, you know, if that, um, if he changes his strategy going forward. Maybe he has a secret strategy that he's saving for the playoffs. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, and a lot of coaches have, have used it in the sort of the final three minutes of the ball game. And there's a right. couple of reasons that, I, that I'm not uh, really a fan of that. For one, because there's a chance that there's not going to be an obvious blown call that goes against your team in the final three minutes. So you may just not right. be able to use it if you... Uh, you know, intentionally avoid using it when there's an obvious case earlier in the game. But then also with the with the only two timeouts per team w- w- under three minutes, you know, losing a timeout at that stage of the game is is super important, and it can pre- it right. can uh, prevent your team from being able to advance the ball in a critical moment. And then uh, and also in the last two minutes, things are a lot of calls are getting reviewed anyways. Right. Uh, so you don't need to kind of save your review there. I think that a, a good way to use it, and it, it really depends on the makeup of your team, is um, you know maybe you're more foul-prone players if they pick up that early second foul or, or third foul in the, in the second quarter. Um, to just throw the challenge out there, if you think it's a it's a it's a tic-tac foul, um, you know you lose an early timeout, which means not as impactful because you know, your, your timeouts will, will reset in the, in the second half, and then you, uh, you you may be able to save a foul that. For a, a player that uh, takes them out of foul trouble going forward, so I think that that might be a strategic place to use it as well. What do you think? Yeah, I think the whole you know charge block call uh, could right. be potentially the most valuable in terms of right. uh, you know if say for instance you're on offense and your guy goes in and, and makes a shot but gets called for a charge, you think it's a block. Uh, you right. know, if that call is overturned, not only are you talking about two points on the board and a free throw right. coming. But then you're talking about your player getting one less foul and the opponent getting an additional foul. The right. the only issue right. with those charge block calls is a lot of times that's subjective and maybe yeah. the NBA is a little more hesitant to overturn those plays. Right, absolutely. And and the guy and it really depends on the player too, right? If you have, you know, a star player, maybe LeBron James gets called for that, although, you know, he's rarely in you know, like finds himself in a situation where he fouls out, but you know, maybe uh, Joel Embiid, who maybe is a little bit more of a foul prone player, gets picks up that on a, on a, on a you know charge block. That's the guy you want to try to have that reverse to save a foul on. You know, uh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So, Stephen, was there anything else you uh, you had you wanted to talk about as far as the Raptors before we uh, wrap up? No, um, I think that's uh, been most of it. Um, I will say, I don't think we touched on Serge Ibaka, but he, uh, before his ankle injury, uh, he looked good out there, too. <laughs> yes, he did. Um, yeah, that's that's been one of the amazing things as we've talked about. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about the young guys and their improvement, yeah. but a lot of the older veterans on this roster have, have uh, you know, staved off father time and continue to produce. Yeah. yeah, you know, we talked about Gasol taking a little bit of a step back, but uh, Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka, before those injuries, we're looking like, you know, prime Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka, which was, uh, you know, pretty surprising. Um, and uh, it, it kind of helped them with that, that fast start to the season. Unfortunately, both of them have been injured. Um, but maybe it's a blessing in disguise when, uh, with, with some of these young guys that have emerged in, in their absence. Well, yeah, and I think it's been, it's been beneficial. You know, you talk about players on contract years performing well. The a key example right. last year with George Hill, Tristan Thompson this year is having a career year at age 28. Uh, 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 you know, a contract year for him. But yeah, guys like Gasol and Ibaka being on contract years and, and looking for maybe one final payday is 
is probably beneficial for uh, for the Raptors, and and that's part of the genius of what Masai has done is is kind of lined up all the contracts on this roster. Yeah, Bachman strikes me as a guy who, who will get some interest in this free agent market. Um, what kind of contract do you think he he might be able to garner? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't think he's going to get as much as his previous deal, but. Um, yeah, I, I could see something, you know, uh, something in the lines of what DeAndre Jordan got this past offseason, something in the 4 for 40 range, something around there. Yeah, and uh, so, yeah, I guess that, that, that's not a bad deal. And then uh, who was it that got? I think, how much did uh, Dwayne Dedman sign for? I believe it was, I'm trying to think, 3 for 39 or something. Something that, like, 13 a year. Yeah, so somewhere between those, maybe. Um, and honestly, if it's 4 for 40, like, that's something the Raptors may consider, uh, you know, depending on... Yeah, I might be being a bit uh, a bit conservative on that estimate, yeah. but, um, again, my 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 debate that I'm having in my head is the idea of the, the teams with, with space might be the teams that are a little bit lower in the standings and don't couldn't really use a, an older vet. I feel like the... Charlotte's and uh, Sacramento's of the world have tapped out some of their spending. So exactly. Yeah, as big of a threat, uh, even though they are also lower standing teams. Um, so, you know, that'll be an interesting one because uh, he's a guy who probably wants more than the MLE, but I don't know how much of that is available in the market. Right, and yeah, perhaps. Um Again, I mentioned it with with Gasol, and we've already seen it yep. with Lowry. That you know, Masai, if if he likes what Ibaka is doing, it could just be another balloon payment for one year, and kind of just run it back one more season. That's that's also a possibility. And yeah, if if Ibaka is getting those four for forty deals, those are his best offers. Maybe he would prefer uh, you know a, a one year big payment. Right, maybe a one for twenty, and then. Uh loyalty contract on the back end or something along those lines i don't know uh for a lower amount but um you know we'll, we'll see i mean it'll be interesting to see how these guys play out and you know if the season starts continues to go well um you know it's probably not going to be as interesting as, as some of the, the competing teams in the league would have hoped for you know i think a lot of teams would probably wish that there was a gasol Ibaka, and lowry fire sale <laughs> And uh, get a chance to add those kind of uh, caliber players to their uh, contention uh, hopes. But uh, it looks like they'll, if they can keep things up as is, they'll probably uh, stand pat at the deadline. Yeah, you know, I'm. Uh, I know you're happy that the Raptors are still a competitive, fun basketball team. I certainly am as well. They've been one of my favorite teams to watch over the last three or four years. Stephen, this was uh, this was a heck of a lot of fun and very informative. Thank you so much for coming on and taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can uh, you can subscribe to the program on iTunes. If you can leave a, uh, a rating and review, that would be greatly appreciated as well. Uh, the show is also now on Spotify. Uh, if you can uh, give the show a follow, again, a rating on there, uh, that uh, that really helps a lot. If, uh, if you've got any uh, questions or comments or, uh, or ideas for, uh, for future episodes, uh, you can contact me. Uh, on Twitter, at Garrett Bouguet, and also uh, my email is g-bouguet at onu.edu. 
So uh, feel free to uh, to uh, give me any of your uh, ideas. I, I love to hear from uh, from the people listening to the program. And uh, enjoy the next week of the NBA calendar. And uh, have a great rest of your day. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of Ookla speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.